Section 29 of Swan's Way. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Coleman. Swan's Way by Marcel Proust. Translated by C. K. Scott Moncrief. Section 29. Francoise found it too cold to stand about, so we walked to the Pont de la Concorde to see the Seine frozen over, on to which everyone, even children, walked fearlessly, as though upon an enormous whale, stranded, defenceless, and about to be cut up. We returned to the Champs-Élysées. I was growing sick with misery between the motionless wooden horses and the white lawn, caught in a net of black paths from which the snow had been cleared while the statue that surmounted it held in its hand a long pendant icicle which seemed to explain its gesture. The old lady herself, having folded up her debas, asked a passing nursemaid the time, thanking her with, How very good of you, then begged the road-sweeper to tell her grandchildren to come, as she felt cold, adding, A thousand thanks, I'm sorry to give you so much trouble. Suddenly the sky was rent in two, between the Punch and Judy and the horses, against the opening horizon I had just seen, like a miraculous sign, Mademoiselle's blue feather. And now Gilbert was running at full speed towards me, sparkling and rosy beneath a cap trimmed with fur, enlivened by the cold, by being late, by her anxiety for a game. Shortly before she reached me, she slipped on a piece of ice, and, either to regain her balance, or because it appeared to her graceful, or else pretending that she was on skates, it was with outstretched arms that she smilingly advanced, as though to embrace me. Bravo, bravo, that's splendid, topping, I should say, like you, sporting, I suppose I ought to say, only I'm a hundred and one, a woman of the old school, exclaimed the lady uttering, on behalf of the voiceless Champs-Élysées, their thanks to Gilbert for having come, without letting herself be frightened away by the weather. You are like me, faithful at all costs to our old Champs-Élysées. We are two brave souls. You wouldn't believe me, I dare say, if I told you that I love them, even like this. This snow, I know you will laugh at me. It makes me think of ermine. And the old lady began to laugh herself. The first of these days, to which the snow, a symbol of the powers that were able to deprive me of the sight of Gilberte, imparted the sadness of a day of separation, almost the aspect of a day of departure, because it changed the outward form and almost forbade the use of the customary scene of our only encounters, now altered, covered as it were in dust-sheets, that day, none the less, marked a stage in the progress of my love, for it was, in a sense, the first sorrow that she was to share with me. There were only our two selves of our little company, and to be thus alone with her was not merely like a beginning of intimacy, but also on her part, as though she had come there solely to please me, and in such weather, it seemed to me as touching as if, on one of those days on which she had been invited to a party, she had given it up in order to come to me in the Champs-Élysées. I acquired more confidence in the vitality, 
in the future of a friendship which could remain so much alive amid the torpor, the solitude, the decay of our surroundings, and while she dropped pellets of snow down my neck, I smiled lovingly at what seemed to me at once a predilection that she showed for me in thus tolerating me as her travelling companion in this new, this wintry land, and a sort of loyalty to me which she preserved through evil times. Presently, one after another, like shyly bopping sparrows, her friends arrived, black against the snow. We got ready to play, and, since this day which had begun so sadly, was destined to end in joy, as I went up, before the game started, to the friend with the sharp voice whom I had heard, that first day, calling Gilbert by name, she said to me, No, no, I'm sure you'd much rather be in Gilbert's camp. Besides, look, she's signalling to you. She was, in fact, summoning me to cross the snowy lawn to her camp, to take the field, which the sun, by casting over it a rosy gleam, the metallic luster of old and worn brocades, had turned into a field of the cloth of gold. This day, which I had begun with so many misgivings, was, as it happened, one of the few on which I was not unduly wretched. For, although I no longer thought, now, of anything, save not to let a single day pass without seeing Gilbert, so much so that once, when my grandmother had not come home by dinner-time, I could not resist the instinctive reflection that, if she had been run over in the street and killed, I should not for some time be allowed to play in the Champs-Élysées. When one is in love, one has no love left for any one. Yet those moments which I spent in her company, for which I had waited with so much impatience all night and morning, for which I had quivered with excitement, to which I would have sacrificed everything else in the world, were by no means happy moments. Well did I know it, for they were the only moments in my life on which I concentrated a scrupulous, undistracted attention, and yet I could not discover in them one atom of pleasure. All the time that I was away from Gilbert, I wanted to see her, because, having incessantly sought to form a mental picture of her, I was unable, in the end, to do so, and did not know exactly to what my love corresponded. Besides, she had never yet told me that she loved me. Far from it, she had often boasted that she knew other little boys whom she preferred to myself, that I was a good companion with whom she was always willing to play, although I was too absent-minded, not attentive enough to the game. Moreover, she had often shown signs of apparent coldness towards me, which might have shaken my faith that I was for her a creature different from the rest, had that faith been founded upon a love that Gilbert had felt for me, and not, as was the case, upon the love that I felt for her which strengthened its resistance to the assaults of doubt by making it depend entirely upon the manner in which I was obliged, by an internal compulsion, to think of Gilbert. But my feelings with regard to her I had never yet ventured to express to her in words. Of course, on every page of my exercise books, I wrote out, in endless repetition, her name and address, but at the sight of those vague lines which I might trace, without her having to think, on that account, of me, 
I felt discouraged, because they spoke to me not of Gilberte, who would never so much as seize them, but of my own desire, which they seemed to show me in its true colours, as something purely personal, unreal, tedious, and ineffective. The most important thing was that we should see each other, Gilberte and I, and should have an opportunity of making a mutual confession of our love, which, until then, would not officially, so to speak, have begun. Doubtless, the various reasons which made me so impatient to see her would have appeared less urgent to a grown man. As life goes on, we acquire such adroitness in the culture of our pleasures, that we content ourselves with that which we derive from thinking of a woman, as I was thinking of Gilberte, without troubling ourselves to ascertain whether the image corresponds to the reality, and with the pleasure of loving her, without needing to be sure, also, that she loves us. Or again, that we renounce the pleasure of confessing our passion for her, so as to preserve and enhance the passion that she has for us, like those Japanese gardeners who, to obtain one perfect blossom, will sacrifice the rest. But, at the period when I was in love with Gilberte, I still believed that love did really exist, apart from ourselves, that, allowing us, at the most, to surmount the obstacles in our way, it offered us its blessings in an order in which we were not free to make the least alteration. It seemed to me that if I had, on my own initiative, substituted for the sweetness of a confession, a pretense of indifference, I should not only have been depriving myself of one of the joys of which I had most often dreamed, I should have been fabricating, of my own free will, a love that was artificial and without value, that bore no relation to the truth, whose mysterious and foreordained ways I should thus have been declining to follow. But when I arrived at the Champs-Élysées, and, as at first sight it appeared, was in a position to confront my love, so as to make it undergo the necessary modifications, with its living and independent cause, as soon as I was in the presence of that Gilbert Swan, on the sight of whom I had counted to revive the images that my tarred memory had lost and could not find again, of that Gilbert Swan, with whom I had been playing the day before, and whom I had just been prompted to greet, and then to recognise, by a blind instinct like that which, when we are walking, sets one foot before the other, without giving us time to think what we are doing. Then at once it became as though she and the little girl who had inspired my dreams had been two different people, if, for instance, I had retained in my memory overnight two fiery eyes above plump and rosy cheeks, Gilbert's face would now offer me, and with emphasis, something that I distinctly had not remembered, a certain sharpening and prolongation of the nose which, instantaneously associating itself with certain others of her features, assumed the importance of those characteristics which, in natural history, are used to define a species, and transformed her into a little girl of the kind that have sharpened profiles. While I was making myself ready to take advantage of this long-expected moment, 
and to surrender myself to the impression of Gilberte, which I had prepared beforehand, but could no longer find in my head, to an extent which would enable me, during the long hours which I must spend alone, to be certain that it was indeed herself whom I had in mind, that it was indeed my love for her that I was gradually making grow, as a book grows when one is writing it. She threw me a ball, and, like the idealist philosopher whose body takes account of the external world, in the reality of which his intellect declines to believe, the same self which had made me salute her before I had identified her, now urged me to catch the ball that she tossed to me, as though she had been a companion, with whom I had come to play, and not a sister soul with whom my soul had come to be limited, made me, out of politeness, until the time came when she had to go, address a thousand polite and trivial remarks to her, and so prevented me both from keeping a silence in which I might at last have laid my hand upon the indispensable, escaped idea, and from uttering the words which might have made that definite progress in the course of our love, on which I was always obliged to count only for the following afternoon. There was, however, an occasional development. One day we had gone with Gilbert to the stall of our own special vendor, who was always particularly nice to us, since it was to her that Monsieur Swann used to send for his gingerbread, of which, for reasons of health, he suffered from a racial eczema and from the constipation of the prophets. He consumed a great quantity. Gilbert pointed out to me with a laugh two little boys who were like the little artist and the little naturalist in the children's story-books. For one of them would not have a red stick of rock because he preferred the purple, while the other, with tears in his eyes, refused a plum which his nurse was buying for him, because, as he finally explained in passionate tones, I want the other plum, it's got a worm in it. I purchased two halfpenny marbles. With admiring eyes I saw, luminous and imprisoned in a bowl by themselves, the agate marbles, which seemed precious to me, because they were as fair and smiling as little girls and because they cost five pence each. Gilberte, who was given a great deal more pocket money than I ever had, asked me which I thought the prettiest. They were as transparent, as liquid-seeming as life itself. I would not have had her sacrifice a single one of them. I should have liked her to be able to buy them, to liberate them all. Still, I pointed out one that had the same colour as her eyes. Gilberte took it, turned it about until it shone with a ray of gold, fondled it, paid its ransom, but at once handed me her captive, saying, Take it, it is for you, I give it to you, keep it to remind yourself of me. Another time, being still obsessed by the desire to hear Berma in classic drama, I had asked her whether she had not a copy of a pamphlet in which Bergotte spoke of Racine, and which was now out of print, she had told me to let her know the exact title of it, and that evening I had sent her a little telegram, writing on its envelope the name, Gilbert Swann, which I had so often traced in my exercise books. Next day she brought me in a parcel tied with pink bows and sealed with white wax, the pamphlet, a copy of which she had managed to find. You see, it is what you asked me for, she said, taking from her muff the telegram that I had sent her but in the address on the pneumatic message, 
which only yesterday was nothing, was merely a little blue that I had written, and after a messenger had delivered it to Gilbert's porter, and a servant had taken it to her in her room, had become a thing without value or distinction, one of the little blues that she had received in the course of the day. I had difficulty in recognising the futile, straggling lines of my own handwriting, beneath the circles stamped on it at the post-office, the inscriptions added in pencil by a postman, signs of effectual realisation, seals of the external world, violet bands symbolical of life itself, which for the first time came to espouse, to maintain, to raise, to rejoice my dream. And there was another day, on which she said to me, You know, you may call me Gilbette. In any case, I'm going to call you by your first name. It's too silly not to. Yet she continued for a while to address me by the more formal vous, and when I drew her attention to this, smiled, and composing, constructing a phrase like those that are put into the grammar books of foreign languages, with no other object than to teach us to make use of a new word, ended it with my Christian name. And when I recalled later what I had felt at the time, I could distinguish the impression of having been held for a moment in her mouth, myself naked, without any longer any of the social qualifications which belonged equally to her other companions, and when she used my surname to my parents, accessories of which her lips, by the effort that she made, a little after her father's manner, to articulate the words to which she wished to give a special value, had the air of stripping, of divesting me, as one peels the skin from a fruit of which one is going to put only the pulp into one's mouth while her glance, adapting itself to the same new degree of intimacy as her speech, fell on me also more directly, not without testifying to the consciousness, the pleasure, even the gratitude that it felt, accompanying itself with a smile. But at that actual moment, I was not able to appreciate the worth of these new pleasures. They were given not by the little girl whom I loved, to me who loved her, but by the other, her with whom I used to play, to my other self, who possessed neither the memory of the true Gilbert, nor the fixed heart which alone could have known the value of a happiness for which it alone had longed. Even after I had returned home, I did not taste them, since every day the necessity which made me hope that on the morrow I should arrive at the clear, calm, happy contemplation of Gilbert, that she would at last confess her love for me, explaining to me the reasons by which she had been obliged hitherto to conceal it, that same necessity forced me to regard the past as of no account, to look ahead of me only, to consider the little advantages that she had given me, not in themselves and as if they were self-sufficient, but like fresh rungs of the ladder on which I might set my feet, which were going to allow me to advance a step further, and finally to attain the happiness which I had not yet encountered. If, at times, she showed me these marks of her affection, she troubled me also by seeming not to be pleased to see me, and this happened often on the very days on which I had most counted for the realisation of my hopes. I was sure that Gilbert was coming to the Champs-Élysées, and I felt an elation which seemed merely the anticipation of a great happiness, when, going into the drawing-room in the morning to kiss Mamma, 
who was already dressed to go out, the coils of her black hair elaborately built up, and her beautiful hands, plump and white, fragrant still with soap, I had been apprised, by seeing a column of dust standing by itself in the air above the piano, and by hearing a barrel-organ playing, beneath the window, on revenant de la revue, that the winter had received, until nightfall, an unexpected, radiant visit from a day of spring. While we sat at luncheon, by opening her window, the lady opposite had sent packing, in the twinkling of an eye, from beside my chair, to sweep in a single stride over the whole width of our dining-room, a sunbeam which had lain down there for its midday rest, and returned to continue it there a moment later. At school, during the one o'clock lesson, the sun made me sick with impatience and boredom, as it let fall a golden stream that crept to the edge of my desk, like an invitation to the feast at which I could not myself arrive before three o'clock, until the moment when Françoise came to fetch me at the school gate, and we made our way towards the Champs-Élysées through streets decorated with sunlight, dense with people, of which the balconies, detached by the sun and made vaporous, seemed to float in front of the houses like clouds of gold. Alas! In the Champs-Élysées I found no Gilbert. She had not yet arrived. Motionless, on the lawn nurtured by the invisible sun which, here and there, kindled to a flame the point of a blade of grass, while the pigeons that had alighted upon it had the appearance of ancient sculptures which the gardener's pick had heaved to the surface of a hallowed soil, I stood with my eyes fixed on the horizon, expecting at every moment to see appear the form of Gilberte following that of her governess behind the statue that seemed to be holding out the child which it had in its arms and which glistened in the stream of light to receive benediction from the sun the old lady who read the debats was sitting on her chair in her invariable place and had just accosted a park-keeper with a friendly wave of her hands towards him as she exclaimed what a lovely day and when the chairwoman came up to collect her penny with an infinity of smirks and affectations, she folded the ticket away inside her glove, as though it had been a posy of flowers, for which she had sought, in gratitude to the donor, the most becoming place upon her person. When she had found it, she performed a circular movement with her neck, straightened her boa, and fastened upon the collector, as she showed her the end of yellow paper that stuck out of her bare wrist, the bewitching smile with which a woman says to a young man, pointing to her bosom, You see, I'm wearing your roses. I dragged Françoise, on the way towards Gilbert, as far as the Arc de Triomphe. We did not meet her, and I was returning towards the lawn, convinced now that she was not coming when, in front of the wooden horses, the little girl with the sharp voice flung herself upon me. Quick, quick, Gilbert's been here a quarter of an hour. She's just going. We've been waiting for you to make up a prisoner's base. While I had been going up the Avenue des Champs-Élysées, Gilbert had arrived by the Rue Boissy d'Anglas, Mademoiselle having taken advantage of the fine weather to go on some errand of her own, and Monsieur Swann was coming to fetch his daughter, and so it was my fault, 
I ought not to have strayed from the lawn, for one never knew for certain from what direction Gilberte would appear, whether she would be early or late, and this perpetual tension succeeded in making more impressive not only the Champs-Élysées in their entirety, and the whole span of the afternoon, like a vast expanse of space and time, on every point and at every moment of which it was possible that the form of Gilberte might appear, but also that form itself, since behind its appearance I felt that there lay concealed the reason for which it had shot its arrow into my heart at four o'clock instead of at half-past two, crowned with a smart hat for paying calls instead of the plain cap for games, in front of the ambassadeurs and not between the two puppet shows. I divined one of those occupations in which I might not follow Gilberte, occupations that forced her to go out or to stay at home. I was in contact with the mystery of her unknown life. It was this mystery, too, which troubled me when, running at the sharp-voiced girl's bidding, so as to begin our game without more delay, I saw Gilberte, so quick and informal with us, make a ceremonious bow to the old lady with the debas, who acknowledged it with, What a lovely sun! You think there was a fire burning! Speaking to her, with a shy smile, with an air of constraint, which called to my mind the other little girl that Gilberte must be when at home with her parents, or with friends of her parents, paying visits in all the rest that escaped me of her existence. But of that existence, no one gave me so strong an impression as did Monsieur Swann, who came a little later to fetch his daughter. That was because he and Madame Swann, inasmuch as their daughter lived with them, as her lessons, her games, her friendships depended upon them, contained for me, like Gilberte, perhaps even more than Gilberte, as befitted subjects that had an all-powerful control over her, in whom it must have had its source, an undefined and inaccessible quality of melancholy charm. Everything that concerned them was on my part the object of so constant a preoccupation, that the days on which, as on this day, Monsieur Swann, whom I had seen so often, long ago, without his having aroused my curiosity, when he was still on good terms with my parents, came for Gilberte to the Champs-Élysées, whilst the pulsations to which my heart had been excited by the appearance of his grey hat and hooded cape had subsided, the sight of him still impressed me as might that of an historic personage upon whom one had just been studying a series of books and the smallest details of whose life one learned with enthusiasm his relations with the comte de paris which when i heard them discussed at cambrai seemed to me unimportant became now in my eyes something marvellous as if no one else had ever known the house of orleans they set him in vivid detachment against the vulgar background of pedestrians of different classes, who encumbered that particular path in the Champs-Élysées, in the midst of whom I admired his condescending to figure without claiming any special deference, which, as it happened, none of them dreamed of paying him, so profound was the incognito in which he was wrapped. He responded politely to the salutations of Gilbert's companions, even to mine, for all that he was no longer on good terms with my family, but without appearing to know who I was. 
This reminded me that he had constantly seen me in the country, a memory which I had retained, but kept out of sight, because, since I had seen Gilbert again, Swann had become to me pre-eminently her father, and no longer the Combray Swann, as the ideas which nowadays I made his name connote were different from the ideas in the system of which it was formerly comprised, which I utilised not at all now when I had occasion to think of him. He had become a new, another person. Still I attached him by an artificial thread, secondary and transversal, to our former guest, and as nothing had any longer any value for me, save in the extent to which my love might profit by it, it was with a spasm of shame and of regret at not being able to erase them from my memory, that I recaptured the years in which, in the eyes of this same swan who was at this moment before me in the Champs-Élysées, and to whom, fortunately, Gilbert had perhaps not mentioned my name, I had so often, in the evenings, made myself ridiculous by sending to ask Mamma to come upstairs to my room to say good-night to me, while she was drinking coffee with him and my father and my grandparents at the table in the garden. He told Gilbert that she might play one game. He could wait for a quarter of an hour, and, sitting down, just like anyone else, on an iron chair, paid for his ticket with that hand which Philippe the Seventh had so often held in his own, while we began our game upon the lawn scattering the pigeons whose beautiful iridescent bodies shaped like hearts and surely the lilacs of the feathered kingdom took refuge as in so many sanctuaries one on the great basin of stone on which its beak as it disappeared below the rim conferred the part assigned the purpose of offering to the bird in abundance the fruit or grain at which it appeared to be pecking another on the head of the statue, which seemed to crown with one of those enamelled objects whose polychrome varies in certain classical works the monotony of the stone, and with an attribute which, when the goddess bears it, entitles her to a particular epithet, and makes of her, as a different Christian name makes of a mortal, a fresh divinity. On one of these sunny days, which had not realised my hopes, I had not the courage to conceal my disappointment from Gilbert. "'I had ever so many things to ask you,' I said to her. "'I thought that today was going to mean so much in our friendship, "'and no sooner have you come than you go away. "'Try to come early tomorrow so that I can talk to you.' "'Her face lighted up, and she jumped for joy as she answered, "'Tomorrow you may make up your mind, my dear friend. "'I shan't come.' First of all, I've a big luncheon party. Then in the afternoon, I'm going to a friend's house to see King Theodosius arrive from her windows. Won't that be splendid? And then next day, I'm going to Michel Strogoff. And after that, it will soon be Christmas and the New Year holidays. Perhaps they'll take me south to the Riviera. Won't that be nice? Though I should miss the Christmas tree here. Anyway, if I do stay in Paris, I shan't be coming here because I should be out paying calls with Mamma. Goodbye. There's Papa calling me. I returned home with Francoise, through streets that were still gay with sunshine, as on the evening of a holiday when the merriment is over. I could scarcely drag my legs along. I'm not surprised, said Francoise. It's not the right weather for the time of year. It's much too warm. Oh dear, oh dear, to think of all the poor sick people there must be everywhere. You would think that up there, too. Everything's got out of order. I repeated to myself, stifling my sobs 
the words in which Gilbert had given utterance to her joy at the prospect of not coming back, for a long time, to the Champs-Élysées. But already the charm with which, by the mere act of thinking, my mind was filled as soon as it thought of her, the privileged position, unique even if it were painful, in which I was inevitably placed in relation to Gilbert by the contraction of a scar in my mind, had begun to add to that very mark of her indifference something romantic, and in the midst of my tears my lips would shape themselves in a smile, which was indeed the timid outline of a kiss. And when the time came for the postman, I said to myself, that evening as on every other, I am going to have a letter from Gilbette. She is going to tell me at last that she has never ceased to love me, and to explain to me the mysterious reason by which she has been forced to conceal her love from me until now, to put on the appearance of being able to be happy without seeing me, the reason for which she has assumed the form of the other Gilbette, who is simply a companion. Every evening I would beguile myself into imagining this letter, believing that i was actually reading it reciting each of its sentences in turn suddenly i would stop in alarm i had realized that if i was to receive a letter from gilbert it could not in any case be this letter since it was i myself who had just composed it and from that moment i would strive to keep my thoughts clear of the words which i should have liked her to write to me from fear lest by first selecting them myself, I should be excluding just those identical words, the dearest, the most desired, from the field of possible events, even if, by an almost impossible coincidence, it had been precisely the letter of my invention that Gilbert had addressed me of her own accord, recognising my own work in it, I should not have had the impression that I was receiving something that had not originated in myself something real something new a happiness external to my mind independent of my will a gift indeed from love while i waited i read over again a page which although it had not been written to me by gilbette came to me none the less from her that page by bergotte upon the beauty of the old myths from which racine drew his inspiration which with the agate marble i always kept within reach I was touched by my friend's kindness in having procured the book for me, and as every one is obliged to find some reason for his passion, so much so that he is glad to find in the creature whom he loves qualities which, he has learned by reading or in conversation, are worthy to excite a man's love, that he assimilates them by imitation and makes out of them fresh reasons for his love even although these qualities be diametrically opposed to those for which his love would have sought, so long as it was spontaneous, as Swann, before my day, had sought to establish the aesthetic basis of Odette's beauty. I, who had at first loved Gilbert in Combray days, on account of all the unknown element in her life, into which I would fain have plunged headlong, have undergone reincarnation, discarding my own separate existence as a thing that no longer mattered, I thought now, as of an inestimable advantage, that of this, my own, my too familiar, my contemptible existence, Gilbert might one day become the humble servant, the kindly, the comforting collaborator, who in the evenings, helping me in my work, would collate for me the texts of rare pamphlets. 
as for Bagot, that infinitely wise, almost divine old man, because of whom I had first, before I had even seen her, loved Gilberte. Now it was for Gilberte's sake, chiefly, that I loved him. With as much pleasure as the pages that he had written about Racine, I studied the wrapper, folded under great seals of white wax, and tied with billows of pink ribbon, in which she had brought these pages to me. I kissed the agate marble, which was the better part of my love's heart, the part that was not frivolous, but faithful, and for all that it was adorned with the mysterious charm of Gilbert's life, dwelt close beside me, inhabited my chamber, shared my bed. But the beauty of that stone, and the beauty also of those pages of Bergot which I was glad to associate with the idea of my love for Gilberte, as if, in the moments when my love seemed no longer to have any existence, they gave it a kind of consistency, were, I perceived, anterior to that love, which they in no way resembled. Their elements had been determined by the writer's talent, or by geological laws, before ever Gilberte had known me, Nothing in book or stone would have been different if Gilbert had not loved me, and there was nothing, consequently, that authorised me to read in them a message of happiness. And while my love, incessantly waiting for the morrow to bring a confession of Gilbert's love for me, destroyed, unravelled every evening, the ill-done work of the day, in some shadowed part of my being was an unknown weaver who would not leave where they lay the severed threads but collected and rearranged them without any thought of pleasing me or of toiling for my advantage in the different order which she gave to all her handiwork without any special interest in my love not beginning by deciding that i was loved she placed side by side those of gilbert's actions that had seemed to me inexplicable and her faults which i had excused then one with another they took on a meaning it seemed to tell me this new arrangement that when i saw gilbert instead of coming to me in the champs elysees going to a party or on errands with her governess, when I saw her prepared for an absence that would extend over the New Year holidays. I was wrong in thinking, in saying, it is because she is frivolous, or easily led, for she would have ceased to be either, if she had loved me, and if she had been forced to obey, it would have been with the same despair in her heart that I felt on the days when I did not see her. It showed me further this new arrangement that I ought, after all, to know what it was to love, since I loved Gilbert. It drew my attention to the constant anxiety that I had to show off before her, by reason of which I tried to persuade my mother to get for Françoise a waterproof coat and a hat with a blue feather, or, better still, to stop sending with me to the Champs-Élysées an attendant with whom I blushed to be seen, to all of which my mother replied that I was not fair to Françoise, that she was an excellent woman and devoted to us all, and also that sole exclusive need to see Gilbert, the result of which was that, months in advance, I could think of nothing but how to find out at what date she would be leaving Paris, and where she was going, feeling that the most attractive country in the world would be but a place of exile if she were not to be there, and asking only to be allowed to stay for ever in Paris, so long as I might see her in the Champs-Élysées, 
and it had little difficulty in making me see that neither my anxiety nor my need could be justified by anything in Gilbert's conduct. She, on the contrary, was genuinely fond of her governess, without troubling herself over what I might choose to think about it. It seemed quite natural to her not to come to the Champs-Élysées if she had to go shopping with Mademoiselle, delightful if she had to go out somewhere with her mother, and even supposing that she would ever have allowed me to spend my holidays in the same place as herself, when it came to choosing that place she considered her parents' wishes, a thousand different amusements of which she had been told, and not at all that it should be the place to which my family were proposing to send me. When she assured me, as sometimes happened, that she liked me less than some other of her friends, less than she had liked me the day before, because by my clumsiness I had made her side lose a game, I would beg her pardon, I would beg her to tell me what I must do in order that she should begin again to like me as much as, or more than the rest. I hoped to hear her say that that was already my position. I besought her, as though she had been able to modify her affection for me, as she or I chose, to give me pleasure, merely by the words that she would utter, as my good or bad conduct should deserve. Was I then not yet aware that what I felt myself for her depended neither upon her actions nor upon my desires? It showed me finally the new arrangement planned by my unseen weaver, that, if we find ourselves hoping that the actions of a person who has hitherto caused us anxiety may prove not to have been sincere, they shed in their wake a light which our hopes are powerless to extinguish, a light to which, rather than to our hopes, we must put the question, what will be that person's actions on the morrow? These new counsels, my love listened and heard them, they persuaded it that the morrow would not be different from all the days that had gone before, that Gilbert's feeling for me, too long established now to be capable of alteration, was indifference, that in my friendship with Gilbert it was I alone who loved. That is true, my love responded, there is nothing more to be made of that friendship. It will not alter now. And so the very next day, unless I were to wait for a public holiday, if there was one approaching, some anniversary, the new year perhaps, one of those days which are not like other days, on which time starts afresh, casting aside the heritage of the past, declining its legacy of sorrows. I would appeal to Gilbert to terminate our old, and to join me in laying the foundations of a new friendship. End of section 29